Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. You can ask me questions because you can't ask me them every day on social media. Um, I don't. I don't. There are two people here. I don't know. Okay. So I was looking through. I haven't. There are a lot of stories in here I haven't read before. So I'm going to read one of those because I like to make it scary for myself. Um, this one is called. Where time goes. Antarctica. There's just a ton of it there. <laughs> Unused web addresses. Looking at you, John everything. It's a common misperception that it goes to actually looking at the internet, but it's actually in the internet itself, and it isn't easy to get out thanks to people like this. Tote bags are never really empty, except even when they are. Granted, they don't hold much. But if you have a couple dozen sitting around in your attic, you might find an hour or two in there. For sure, some is with the socks that get lost in the dryer. Let's just put that out there right now. Some also gets in between couch cushions, but that time gets mixed in with all the crumbs and dust and doesn't amount to much. You can vacuum that time. You can vacuum up that time and not feel bad about it. Grout is porous, so a lot of it slips out that way. But this isn't about how it goes, it's about where. The Kardashians have tons of it. It can actually be bought. Most people don't know that. People go by the saying, but the sayings don't know. Here's some other wrong sayings. Time flies. There's a time and a place for everything. Time reveals secrets, all in due time. A stitch in time saves nine. I could break down each of these for you, but you're smart. You can figure it out. Time heals all wounds is the most boneheaded, though. And there is totally time like the president. We'll get to that later. (laughs) M is hoarding a lot of it. I don't want to name her, though, because she's working through some of her issues. Jay also has a stockpile, but his prices are bullshit. This is the thing. If you want to buy it, it costs a shit ton of money. But that said, you can get it for less than this. A has a warehouse full of knockoff time. Trust me, this is not what you want. It's no different than a Gucci purse. One use and it falls apart. S has a vast supply and will give it away to anyone who plans to make good use of it. But S has some weird ideas about what good use means. She has watched no fewer than 80 YouTube tutorials on how to create a perfect eyebrow. She'll give it to you if you say you want to start a puppy mill. Partly that's because she doesn't listen. Especially if something like puppy is in the sentence, the rest falls away. Q has a great deal to spare and will happily donate to anyone for anything, anytime, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, no judgment. Just maybe don't tell her everything because she's a gossip. B has three extra months. Currently, she's squandering it. That may not be totally fair, but that's what it seems like to her mom, who's dead. Time is different when you're dead. We'll come back to that. There are any number of houses that are harboring extra, but in most cases, these areas are inaccessible without dismantling walls or ceilings. Chimneys invariably have time in there, but even most of the sweeps don't know this, and it usually gets cleaned out with the soot, and that's the end of that. Likewise with smokestacks. 
There's a two-family house in the Bronx where there used to be a lot of it in the basement. This was one of those basements with a number of different rooms, some finished, some not, a laundry area, a half bath, an extra refrigerator, a deep freezer, not so surprising, a lounge area with a scratchy old plaid sofa bed, a black and white TV on a rickety metal cart, and one of those ancient exercise machines with the belt, where all you had to do was stand there with the belt around your hips and let it shake you. You always had high hopes for this when you were 11 and wore Chabet brand hand-me-downs from your cousin, but all that machine ever did was make your butt itch. Then you step down out of this lounge area into the room where the boiler is, also nothing unusual. Then you step down again into another long skinny room where there's a storage area. Some of your childhood stuff got put there in the 80s. You're not sure anymore what all besides some artwork and maybe a cigar box of seashells. A break front holding a collection of ceramic poodles, silver plated candlesticks, a few odd vases with dusty plastic flowers stuck in, a candy dish with Jordan almonds wrapped in tulle from four different weddings in the 70s. Also boxes and boxes from the grandparents and their grandparents. Some of that came with them on the boat from Italy. Loose photos of unsmiling people in dark coats. Handwritten names on the back like Ugo and Paola. A crocheted infant bib. A crumbling linen baptism gown. A cracked patent leather purse. Contents. Crumpled hanky. Max Factor Compact. A corno with a broken tip. Lowe's Paradise ticket stub. A ratty fox fur collar, head and feet, yes. Then there's another room behind that, more of a skinny hallway, not room to store anything. And then there's a door at the end of that room slash hallway that you were told goes outside, but that isn't true. It goes to time, and this particular time is exactly like the present. But the door to this time was left locked, and the new owners, of course, tried to open it, broke the lock, only to find a cinder block wall, which they could have easily figured out by going outside to where the door would actually would open out to and seeing cinder blocks. But there's actually several inches between the door and the cinder block wall and the walls of the house, and a ton of time is just floating around in there. This is just one of the ones we know of, but the point is, if you look for it, it might turn up in places you wouldn't have much reason to think about. A lot of this time was left behind by the former owners of this house, all of whom eventually died there. These people did the best they could with their time, but they didn't know the truth about how much was getting out via that door. The true story is when the, that when the house was built, the basement was intended to be a rental unit, and that some years later, after that never came to pass, and someone broke in, in fact through an upstairs window... Their best idea to prevent further break-ins was to get a German shepherd and seal up that door. But the story that got handed down was a tale that changed depending on who told it to whom. Sometimes it was extremely tall, where if you were a grandchild or a visiting niece, it might involve sea creatures or ghosts. Your favorite version was the one your stepdad's father told you about how there was another world behind that door, one that was the exact reverse of the world you were in, another basement identical to this one, only the other way filled with all the same things, and upstairs, all the same families eating all the same meals, pasta, calamari, capigolo, brajol, having the same fights, imbecile, pazzo, big ends yelling at little ends, 49 years old now, little ends forever, smoking the same cigarettes, another German shepherd, the whole thing. Nothing at all different, you'd ask? Nothing except for everything, he would always say. And you'd try to picture it, some version of you over there, a version of you that was more clever or bold or wore brand new clothes in non-chubby sizes or didn't care what size clothes your, your clothes were, like that girl Nancy in your homeroom who would say jealous to whatever fat, horrible derision that got thrown at her or who just had a wardrobe of the coolest sneakers on the planet to make up the difference between how much you cared and how much you wished you didn't or who caught the eye of your step-cousin's friend from camp across the table 
the one you never saw again, not knowing he thought about you for the rest of that school year while you wrote entire plays about him in your diary, even though the totality of your conversation was two barely audible highs, not knowing that that version of you was picturing the same thing or would have if it were true. We can't say if it is or it isn't, but it seems true. We don't suggest waiting until you're dead to find it. That might seem to go without saying, but that saying better off dead didn't entirely come from nowhere, sarcasm of the sentiment aside. It's just that when you're dead, the reality is you've got all of it and none of it. You get that, right? What's not to get? Nothing you do while you're dead exists in the same kind of time. It feels like there's more of it, but that's a false illusion. Plus, that turns out to provide zero satisfaction. Don't confuse what we're describing with hell. Granted, it might sound hellish, but all it is is just something different. Hell and heaven are ideas for someone else to get into. We don't know whether or not they exist. We personally don't think they do, but we're only experts on time. And when you die, time is kind of like this. You have all the time you want to do you have all the time to do whatever you want but what you quickly learn is that it's more or less without meaning. You can literally read all the books when you're dead if you want to but that knowledge goes nowhere and worse you won't feel anything about it. It's just like oh that's a book that's 10 books that's 100 books look at me I read 1000 books except not really there's no payoff. You don't even get the satisfaction of bragging. It's like a diet of all candy. It's the first thing everyone does when they die, but the ensuing conversations are literally endless, and sorry for the pun, deadly dull. You finally have time to take up sewing. You take up sewing. You might end up sewing for 100 years. Very relaxing. You lose track of time. End up with enough clothes to wardrobe the world's poor people for generations, but you can't get them into regular time because you're in dead time. Anything you wanted to do in regular time, you can do to your heart's content after you die. But it's the heart's content part of it that's taken out of the equation. You can do whatever you want to your heart's absence after you die. So the point is, death isn't a viable option. If it's time you're looking for, there is one other place where it goes, though. As far as we know, it's an unreachable destination. It's in the horizon. Seems obvious, right? Try to get to the horizon sometime, though. People have. It's a popular idea that you can get there by boat, from which... The best you might bring home is a spectacular photograph and a nice memory. You're not going to retrieve time from there because the horizon you see isn't the actual horizon. I mean, that's obvious. We have to call it something. But a little-known fact is that the horizon is an actual location. I don't want to get into tears in the universe or whatever because that seems a little more sci-fi than what it really is. It's more like picture something like a cube, a transparent cube but which can be filled beyond the obvious capacity of the cube, a sizeless cube. It doesn't have to expand or contract. It's just the size that it needs to be. Into it goes all lost moments, that brutal fight you had with your sister, all the screaming hot 97 minutes of it. Every single time your boyfriend called you a name, every single time you forgave your boyfriend for calling you a name. So many drinks after the one that got you that sweet buzz. So many. So many cigarettes after the one you smoked with your buddy from down the block when you were 10 that made you throw up. I know. That one after that thing, that one time, that one was good. I kind of want to give you that one, but the one that came out, that one came after 9,000 packs, so I just can't. I'm sorry. So many lies, big and small, when you really blew it, missed your baby's first giggles right in the other room because you were starting that email affair, when you missed your kid's fourth grade violin concerto because you were trying to break it off. So many lies when you didn't want to do something when the truth would have been easier and might have brought you towards someone instead of away. So many thoughts about why you ever smoked another cigarette after your first one made you throw up. So many thoughts. Thoughts both undersized, oversized and undersized. Any thoughts not the exact size relative to the accomplishment. 
Thoughts related to curing cancer and holding hand of a cancer patient are allowed equal time. Any overages go here. Sorry, geniuses. Thoughts related to writing a prize-winning novel versus telling a good campfire story. Both overages and underages go here. Great storytellers don't always give themselves their due if they work in some non-literary field, though prize winners often give themselves more. That guy who just brings a guitar to the barbecue, plays the Beatles song while everyone sings along. The baby who was crying all afternoon until someone, until everyone sang Blackbird wants everyone involved to give themselves their due, but no more. All thoughts related to what you did wrong after the first one, even if you did something wrong. All thoughts related to what you did right after the first one. Yep. Silences go here as well, not the good kind. The kind when something, anything should have been said. Another myth exploded. What happens in Vegas goes here. (laughs) Along with a calculated percentage of your video game time over and above your productivity and time spent with friends. The cube has a whole series of math equations for time use, each one designed for each individual. There are allowances for so-called trivial things. Anyway, all the terrible things go in here, things you wish you'd done differently, but also what also goes in here is color. Color goes in here. Color that, if you could see it, would make you think you hadn't really ever known what color was before. Think of the amber color of your dog's eyes when the sunlight hits them just so, and the good feeling that gives you. And then imagine that every color is represented in this way and all at once. That might seem like too much to think about, but in reality, together with a warm wind and the scent of all the flowers and music, kind of a lulling percussion, a pleasing hum, it's transcendent. Together with your losses, these things make time into something more than time, something better. For now, the only way to access it is to imagine it. I know. We're telling you where all this time is, and you say, well, you can't afford a ticket ticket to Antarctica, Antarctica, or you don't know where any of those people who have it. You can't get to the horizon or whatever. You have three kids. You have two jobs. You have no job. You're taking care of your dad who calls up to you from downstairs four times every night in a panic about his balled-up tissue that fell to the floor. He's worried that the cat will eat it. I know. I'm going to give you some of mine. I'm going to give you five minutes right before you go to bed every night just for you. Promise you'll keep it. I don't know how long that was. Was that good enough? Should we take questions? Hi, Greg. Hi, Mary. Questions? Do you have any of your uh, work that's been built? (coughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yes. Um, I don't know. Uh, We did some... You know, it's a super low-budget indie, and so, I mean, a micro-budget, micro, micro budget, they call it. Have we talked about this? I don't know. But anyway, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's in the can, it's being edited. We did some reshoots in the fall, which part of the delay was, like, trying to do some reshoots and coordinating the cast that we needed um, because, you know, of their schedules and such, and then the director schedule, and so... I haven't talked to him in a little while, so I don't know exactly where he's at right now, but it's all... There is movement. It's just slow. It's always yeah, slow. Yeah, it's slow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready, too. It's, I've seen it. It's good, you know, but it's not done. Hi, Mary. Hi. <laughs> yes? Uh, I don't quite have this work out of my head yet, so uh, I'll try. Um, yeah, so I noticed that a lot of you're writing, uh, obviously, like, this is everybody's writing, but anyway, you're writing specifically, it seems to deal with a lot of, you know, 
fictionalized autobiographical things, and I, I guess I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little about like sort of what, how you use kind of your writing to kind of structure lines. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, it, it tends to just be a starting point. I think, um, you know, in this particular story, I had, I, you know, a. Uh, I mean, I made, I made the stuff up about time. I don't really know for sure. Um, but uh, but I did have, like, an Italian stepfamily in the Bronx, and that house was, like, very vivid in my mind. And um, so, you know, that's sort of incorporated into all this other stuff that clearly is made out of whole cloth, really. Um, you know, that's why I've done fiction, I think, is, you know... My, I have some interesting stories as a human person in the world, but, um, but I always feel like they're, you know, they're sort of maybe not quite interesting enough on their own. You know, like they're just an anecdote. It's like, oh, I met so and so, and that's the end of my story. <laughs> you know, um, so. Somehow I can do something that, like, play, if I can, if I know that I have the license to play around with it on the page, it's more fun for me than. I mean, I love nonfiction and I would like to get better at it, but it's been easier for me to do it in fiction. I don't know if that's. Do you do this as a like a form of um, magical realism? Yeah, I, I. Someone came up with a good like made up word for it, like. Um, Right. I mean, there's a lot of things that you could kind of call it. It's, um, you know, it's certainly like, I mean, I do write some straightforward stories, uh, but there's a lot of like playing with form and playing with, you know, what a story even is. And um, clearly that's not a, you know, this is not a traditional story and there is magic in it. Um, Fantastical. I, I never really know what to call it, honestly. Um, oh, so many. Uh, you know, going way back, um, I, you know, I've said a million times, David Foster Wallace kind of cracked things open for, for me, I think. Um, you know, I, I just didn't, at that point, I didn't know. And, and there, you know, there are a lot of people that came before him that he was inspired by, but I hadn't read anything like that kind of out there and that kind of, the, 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 way that it sounded like a person, like obviously a brilliant person, but like a person talking kind of really cracked open like what I was able to do. I didn't go to grad school and, you know, even though I taught half the people in this room and, (laughs) um, you know, uh, other people that I'm just a huge fan of are like Lydia Davis and, um, Amy Bender and, um, George Saunders and, um, My last book was inspired by a book by Percival Everett, who I didn't discover until like long after I should have discovered Percival Everett. And I'm mad at everyone who didn't tell me about Percival Everett before that. Um, uh, So, you know, it's always kind of ongoing. It's a beautiful story. Thank you. A, a poetic kind of musicality to the language in that, that. Thank you. Do you read your stuff out loud, or do you think about the rhythm of the sentences? Um, I, you know, I tell my students to read out loud, and I don't do it that much myself. Um, but that is def- But I, I think I hear it in my head. It's definitely sound and rhythm is definitely something that I think about, and I, 
you may have even heard me say this in a class at something at some point, but I, I always think of this thing that um, Francine Prose had in, has in her book, like reading like a writer or something like that, and writing like a reader, no, uh, where she said like sometimes the best word choice is not the perf- the one that has the exact perfect meaning for the sentence, but it's the one that's pretty close that sounds the best. And that always really, like that, you know, that always sort of, sort of what I was already doing, but it, it really spoke to me because I, you know, I don't, I just, there's a, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of flow and how it might sound and, you know, I'm sure I marked on your papers rhythm a time or two, like, um, hoping that you would know what I meant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think about it a lot. And I, I grew up in a musical household, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but they, you know, so, yeah. Correct, right? Um, can you recommend any um, David Foster Wallace or Percival Everett for people who want to discover them? Uh, yeah, read Percival Everett by no wait Percival Everett by Virgil Russell. Wait, I always get this wrong. Virgil Percival Everett by Virgil Russell. That's the title, and it's by Percival Everett. That's the book. Um, Erasure is one of the ones that he's most well known for. Also amazing. You should just read both of those. Um, He's he, he just like blows my mind. So good. Gail, I'm very slow. You know, I I got uh, reading has been weird since the election, um, but and residency I tend not to read too much because I get too wrapped up in stuff. But I've been reading Samantha Irby's book of essays. You know about it? So freaking hilarious. And I know her like, do you know her at all? So freaking funny. I love her. And so I'm just like sitting at the pool. Thankfully, like nobody really there, like just laughing out loud. Like really. And I went to hear her read in New York. And um, she told a story about getting diarrhea on a road trip. That was just like (laughs) the most unfortunate, most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Um, and I'm also reading Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit right now. Also sort of slowly just to kind of like keep me hanging in like, we're going to get through. Ross, did you? Oh, yeah. Um, I thought maybe you could talk a little about, you write a lot in first person plural. I like it a lot. I love first person plural. Um, yeah, I think the reason is that it just, um, I like to read it. And I, I think there's something about it that just, sort of makes it's it's inclusive and then you know there's several third person plural stories in the book that are you know about these I mean you can use it in different ways but they're they're groups of people like there's one called the genius meeting so there's a guy that's like talking about like what it's you know like they get together and talk about um what it's like for them to be geniuses and uh there's another one um we collect things where it's a group of people who have weird collections, and, um, and to, you know, you can say this about different persons. I've, I always feel like you can say this about second person or whatever, but I do feel like it kind of like can be inclusive of uh, the readers. Um, but I'd use it differently in my in my 
first novel, We Only Know So Much, was more, in that case, it was more sort of like the we in my mind was not as specific as like a group of geniuses, but more like, in my mind, sort of like nebulous, like neighbors who knew more than this family did, or, you know, nosy, gossipy neighbors, or um, that somehow had an eye into their house, or um, something like that. So, I don't know, it's just, it's just fun. Anything else? Karen? When you read short story collections, do you read it from beginning to end, or do you skip around? Ah! <laughs> I read them beginning to end, probably because I'm a short story writer, and I, you know, we put thought into the order that they're in. Um, but that said, they're meant to be freestanding. So, I mean, I will say, like, there are, you know, it depends on the collection. Um, my second collection was about, like, one character. And the way that I ordered them was not sort of chronological, but not exactly. Um, so it, it would have been a good idea to read that. Because you, you would experience it more as a novel in stories if you read it straight through. But all of those stories and all, you know, all the stories I've ever written are always meant to be freestanding. So you can really, you know, read them out of order and, you know, maybe have a good experience. But um, <laughs> I think you will feel the full impact if you read them in the proper order. That's my feeling about it. Janet. Four collections of short stories and two novels. Yes. So, did the novels come later? Did you write short stories for a while? Yeah, the novels came later, and I really just, it was just a fluke. Like, I um, I wrote, an, I, the first one, I wrote a short story that was like 30 pages, and I was like, I'm nowhere near done with this. And then it was 60 pages, and I was like, oh no, who's going to buy this? 60 page short story and then because it still wasn't done and then I got to 90 pages and I was like had my agent read it at that point I was like do you think this could be a novel because I still wasn't you know wasn't done and um but I liked what I had and uh and then once I got that done I was like oh I did it and it was really enjoyable and it was really nice to be in a longer thing even as much as I love short stories um I like to read them, and I like to write them. But it was a really great experience, and so I was like, oh, I guess maybe at some point I'll be able to do this again. And I didn't know when that would be until I read that Percival Everett book. And I was like, ring, 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 ring. So the other wasn't a short story that became... I, I thought it probably would be a novel. I thought there probably, because it was two people's lives, like two people's entire lives, basically. So I figured there's probably enough to get a whole novel out of. It didn't, it, it went in a very different direction than I thought it would in the beginning, but that worked out okay. Liz? Um, do you have any memories of the elementary school and teachers encouraging you and what was it to write? Hmm. I, I remember elementary school. I mean, that was when I started writing and it was, you know, it was like I've said many times, like Harriet the Spy in third grade that was given to me by my teacher that really like was just like, I'm going to keep an I'm a little misfit New York City girl. I'm going to get a notebook. And I did and kept them for many years. And, um, you know, was totally ripping off Harriet and writing snarky things. So, But that was just for myself. But no, I don't know that anybody was encouraged. I mean, I did always do well in creative writing stuff after that. Um, but nobody was like, you, you got a future, kid. Um, but I did, but, in, but I will say that one thing that sort of made me feel like I, I might have 
a future was in fifth grade. I won a caption contest for a um, like a school in the school or something, and it was a picture of two pigs kissing, like in a heart. And I wrote the caption. I was a big fan of West Side Story, so I wrote Maria. I've just met a girl named Maria, and I won. So I was like, I'm brilliant. I won this. My writing was recognized. Um, and then I didn't do anything for 30 more years. <laughs> you can ask me after. Remember to go grab your books and then bring them back up this way and we'll sign them for you. Thank you so much for coming. So Great. Thank you all for coming. You brought your dog. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.